0: Visit OpenBibleNJ.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now
1: enjoy the service. Tonight we're going to hear from Colin Connor. It's a privilege to hear from Colin, who has grown up in our church, who has been able to go to Bible college and study the Word of God. And I'm excited to hear what the Lord has laid on his heart tonight. So, Colin, why don't you come open the Word of God to us tonight? Thank you, Brother Rich. Yeah, you know, there's some stuff in life that you just never outgrow, right? For me, that's just about everything. <laughs> I just so happen to be nothing more than a big kid. You guys know that. There's some things you just never get too old for, right? One of them for me, and I think for many of you, is the work of Charles Schultz, better known as the Peanuts comic strips. I fell in love with those as a kid. Linus, Lucy, Charlie Brown, Schroeder, my personal favorite Snoopy, and just all of the adventures that they would get into in the comic strips. Honestly, those brought more smiles and laughter to my heart than just about anything else over the years. And I think what's so cool about it is that you can go pretty much anywhere in the world and people know Peanuts. They do. I mean, you see it all over. And just about everybody knows his most famous work. It's getting to that time of year, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Now, I realize some of you are in that no Christmas until Thanksgiving's over. All right, you've got four days, and we're coming for you. All right, so four days, live it up, and Christmas is coming. But until then, <laughs> I know it's still Thanksgiving time, Whereas I like to call it, pre-Christmas. And that just gets Jana upset, but I need counseling for that. But uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special is a, it's a favorite for, for so many people year, every, every year. But what a lot of people don't know is there was actually a second Charlie Brown Christmas special and it was appropriately named, It's Christmas Time Again, Charlie Brown. Uh, it never became as popular as the first one, but I personally always, I found it amusing, I liked it. Uh, particularly related to this one scene where Linus and Sally are sitting together And Linus, go figure, is trying to explain to Sally why she should be in the spirit of Christmas and and what there is to be thankful for at Christmas. And Sally, she's having none of it, right? She's complaining and just saying, if I get socks for Christmas this year, I'm going to go crazy. And she's, she's not getting it. So Linus says, did you know that Albert Schweitzer dreaded the thought of having to receive Christmas gifts because he hated having to write thank you letters What do you think about that? And so Sally thinks for a minute, and she goes, who's Albert Schweitzer, right? Like, what does that matter to me? And for the two or three of you in here who would care, Albert Schweitzer was a theologian 100 years ago, but that's not the point of what he was saying there. The the point that was so relatable for me is I don't like writing thank-you letters, right? We all love receiving gifts. We like receiving thank-you letters, but we hate to write them. My mom could tell you, as a child, it was like pulling teeth for me to write a thank you letter. I mean, I hated after a birthday party or after a holiday because I didn't want to write these thank you letters. You say, how selfish. Yeah, I know, it is. But in reality, it's not natural for us to want to be thankful. I know it would be easy for me to get up here and and talk about a young generation today. They're just not as thankful as they used to be and all that. But if we're honest, it doesn't matter what year you were born in or what generation you are, thankfulness doesn't come natural to any of us. So tonight, we are eventually going to end up in 2 Corinthians 9-11. If you want a little sneak peek, you can go there. But I want to give us some, some background leading up to that so it has the full punch that it's supposed to get. And I want to consider the question, what do I have to be thankful for anyway? That's our title, our central jumping-off point. What do I have to be thankful for anyway? I know it's a Sunday night crowd. It's only four days before Thanksgiving, so all of you guys could probably rattle me off a list right off the top of your head of all the verses. Well, be thankful in this, and and you're supposed to be thankful. I get that, and you're right. We are supposed to be thankful. There There are Bible verses that tell us that, but it would be really easy for me to get up here Pull out First Thessalonians five eighteen and everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, and start railing on you guys about how you need to be more thankful. Bless God. And you know I'd get some amens too, because it's really easy on a Sunday night when the preacher says you need to be more thankful to say, "Yep, yeah, you're right. I probably should be." But what happens when we leave these doors? And Monday hits. And you're stuck in traffic for three hours, and you get a flat tire. And the AC and heating go out all at the same time. Not only will you probably not be feeling very thankful, but when 1 Thessalonians 5.18 pops back into your mind, you're going to think, man, I'm supposed to be thankful and I'm not thankful. I must be a horrible Christian. I mean, Christians are supposed to be thankful. I'm not thankful, right? So you just start this spiral of feeling worse and being less thankful. So I don't want to do that today. I want to actually take a little bit of a different approach. And so I suppose our first question really should be, what does thankfulness even mean? And if we're going to talk about it, we need to define it. What does thankfulness even mean? It's so abstract. I and mean, what does it mean? Well, it means to be grateful. Okay, well, what does that mean? To say thank you. Okay, well, what does that mean? Let's <laughs> Get down to it. So here's my definition. Um, I'm working on it. Ask me again in five years. I might have a different one, but this is what I got right now. Thankfulness is realizing that what you have does not come from you, and then acting accordingly. Thankfulness is realizing that what you have does not come from you, and then acting accordingly. Let's break that down. Thankfulness is first realizing. It's a mindset. It's a way of viewing the world. It's not just some abstract, out-there concept. You have to think to be thankful. It means you have to pause. You have to stop what you're doing if you're going to be thankful. One of the biggest enemies to thankfulness in our lives is busyness. Because we get so caught up in things, not even bad things, good things, daily things, but we don't stop and take the time to be thankful. So it's realizing, it's realizing that what you have, stop there, thankfulness is in relation to what you possess. I will not say I am thankful for a Lamborghini. Because I don't own a Lamborghini, right? That just, that wouldn't make sense. I, none of my family own it. And as far as I know, none of my friends own one. If you don't own a Lamborghini and you haven't told me, we need to talk, like, go out to lunch after this. You're driving, you know? But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm thankful for a Lamborghini. It just, it doesn't affect my life. But I can be thankful for my Hyundai Elantra. I can be thankful for the car that God provided for my friend who needed one. Thankfulness is a personal thing. So it's realizing, it's realizing that what you have, it's realizing that what you have does not come from you. People aren't thankful for things that they think they could provide on their own. You cannot both think you're responsible for something and be thankful for it at the same time. Thankfulness by its very nature implies that what you have came as a result of something you have no control over. Here's what I mean. Think about this. Let's say that your, um, your clothes dryer goes out. You just, it's totally on the fritz. It, you can't wear, you, you need a new one. So you go out to the store, you buy one, it works great, all well and good. But imagine your clothes dryer goes out, you need one, and you don't have the money for it. And so I come in, I say, okay, I'll get it for you. I buy it and I give it to you. In which situation are you more thankful for the clothes dryer? The one where you couldn't get it of your own merit, right? Where there is nothing that you could do to get that clothes dryer on your own. Now, I realize, even in the situation where you bought the dryer, there are things you could be thankful for. You could be thankful that someone at some point in time invented a clothes dryer that saves you time and effort. You could be thankful that the people made it well. You could be thankful for the job that allowed you to buy it. So, So ultimately, Any situation you can trace back to a point that was out of your control and you can therefore be thankful for. But we're gonna have ourselves, so just keep that in your mind for a little bit later on. So thankfulness is realizing, it's realizing that what you have, what you have does not come from you and then acting accordingly. It's not just a state of mind. It requires action. If you realize that what you have doesn't come from you, but you don't do anything about it, you've not truly been thankful. Imagine going to a party where the hostess has gone out of her way to make everything perfect. I mean, there's more food than you could possibly imagine, pizza, wings, chips, Cheetos, drinks, whatever you possibly want. If you sit there, you don't interact with anybody, you never pick up a piece of food, and you leave hungry and miserable, were you thankful for that party? You weren't. You could even write a thank you letter, but you weren't truly thankful if you didn't participate in the party. It takes action. Think back to that dryer illustration. You could write me the nicest, fanciest, just oozing with sentimentality thank you for giving me a clothes dryer. But if you never plug it in and use it, are you actually thankful for my gift? Think about all those gifts you get at Christmas that you want to re-gift that you never use, right? Why don't you use them? Because you're not thankful for them. You didn't want them. Thankfulness requires you to get involved in the goodness of the gift. You can't just stop at the realization, you have to act on it. So if that's the definition of thankfulness, let's ask the question, what do I have to be thankful for anyway? Well, if we're going to answer that, In a way that will stay with us through the week past Sunday, we need to go back to page one. So I know some of you flipped to 2 Corinthians 9-1, but go to page one of your Bibles with me if you would. Genesis chapter one. If, If you've ever heard me preach before, you probably wonder, what is it with this kid and starting off every sermon in Genesis? Like why do we always end up back in those pages? I promise you it's intentional. I mean, imagine taking your favorite book or movie series and starting it halfway through. I mean, imagine taking someone who had never seen a Star Wars movie and telling them you should start by watching episode 8. They're going to be a little confused, right? I mean, sure they might like the movie, they might get some of the story, they might even get some of the main idea of Star Wars but they're going to miss out on some major themes, some major uh, plot points that they would have understood if they started at the beginning. And maybe Star Wars was a bad illustration because we fight over whether you should start episode one or four, but you get the picture. And put in whatever book or movie series you like. You don't start in the middle. But we do that all the time with the Bible. The Bible's a story, and it begins here in Genesis. And so often we start later on and we miss out so much that would help us in those first few pages. I can almost guarantee you that just about every theme that shows up in the Bible has its start in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. If you really want to dig deep into your Bible, dig into Genesis 1 to 11. You'll be amazed what you can come up with. There's so much there. So let's look here at Genesis 1 and see how does this relate to thankfulness? Well, we know that in the beginning, God created everything. And on each day of creation, he focused on a different way to bring order into chaos. We talked about this a few months ago on a Wednesday night, that um, the earth was wild and waste. It's a Hebrew word, tohu vavohu. It was a fun word that we learned. Uh, The King James translates it formless and void. The idea is that there was chaos. And every day of creation, God is bringing order into chaos in a different way. And on the sixth day, God creates man and woman, and he places them in the special meeting place of heaven and earth, and it's called Eden. And he appoints them as his royal representatives over the whole earth. Notice verse 28 of chapter 1 with me. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. A lot of times we view this as a command. And, and there is a command aspect to it a little bit, but let me ask you, how does the verse begin? God blessed them. At its core, we call this the creation mandate. At its core, the creation mandate is a blessing it's God saying here is all of the goodness that I have created it's yours make use of it expand on it get creative with it just like I did I realize we can't create out of nothing but we can create with what he has given us that word bless is such a good churchy word isn't it you don't hear someone using it outside of church unless someone just sneezed right that's the only time we say bless bless you And it can be a really hard word to define. It's actually the same word as praise in the Old Testament. Bless and praise are the same word. At the base, to bless is to declare the goodness of something. Today we've turned into something you do. If I say that someone is a blessing to me, it means they've done something that helps me. But the word first meant less about what you do and more about who you are. To bless is to declare the goodness of something. Now, if you're reading this verse and you've been reading through the first 27 verses leading up to it, the first few words are going to sound the exact same because when God created animals, he blessed them as well and he told them to multiply. But it gets unique right after that because he gave a, a part of the blessing to humans that he didn't give to any other part of creation. That was to subdue and to have dominion. Those are very forceful words, right? And words we don't really use much today. Subdue is about a battle of wills. You know, the earth isn't always a very easy place to live in, is it? Imagine, I mean, for us today, it's not. But even more so a few thousand years ago when people were farmers or uh, herdsmen or something where you were really tied to the land. Sometimes it just seems like the earth has a mind of its own. Natural disasters, unwelcome weather patterns, wild animals, all all manner of things that are against you. To subdue means to win that battle. It means that if a storm comes and destroys your house, you build a bigger, better, and stronger one. And maybe along the way you even figure out a way to protect other people's homes from being affected the same way that yours was. That's subduing. Subduing is, is being creative enough that you're winning the battle of wills with the earth. It's wresting power from the chaos of the wild and wasteness of the earth and harnessing it then for the good of humanity. That's what God has told us to do. He says, take the, take the chaos of the world and order it into something awesome. Uh, in my mind, I think of uh, like those wind turbines you see when it takes something that, I mean, wind is super powerful, but it's taking it and harnessing it to use it for something that's good for us. And it's also interesting to note. I'll just throw this in. God said all this before the fall. Chapter one, verse twenty-eight is before the fall. The fall is chapter three. Sometimes we think of the garden as this perfect place where we didn't have to work and we just sat around and ate grapes all day and petted the animals. And no, we talked a couple months ago about how God never said the garden was perfect. He said it was full of potential. You can look. I looked. I looked for a part that said the garden was perfect. But perfect implies there's nothing more to do. And God gave us a lot to do in the garden. There was a potential to make it even better. And that's not all we're called to do, though. We're called to rule. That's what that word dominion means. To have dominion is to rule. A dominion is a kingdom. It's an area of jurisdiction. We think of God as being a king overall, and and he is. But did you ever notice that he then appointed man and woman? To be prince and princess ruling with him? That's the job of every human being. That sounds weird to us today, right? I don't think of myself as a king. I don't. (laughs) I don't think of myself as a prince. I don't think of myself as ruling over anything. I mean, I know we say a man's house is his castle, but even, even then, we don't think of it like that, right? But God says, even today, your job is to rule. To rule wisely, to rule well. And by the way, that's not just for men. He gave it to all of humankind. That word Adam is Adam, it's humanity, men and women. He has literally given us an entire world that, remember, six times he said it's good, and a seventh time he said it's very good, and then he said, use it however you need to. Make me proud. He provided a very abundant earth for us, and the best way we can show our thankfulness is to use these resources he has given us to increase the good of creation. But we have to be careful because it's easy to fall prey to one of two extremes. Those of a more conservative persuasion can fall to the extreme of abusing the resources God has given. You say what do you mean? We can partake without thought of the consequences. It's basically a mentality of, well, God's going to burn up this earth anyway, so it's all right. Global warming isn't a problem. Climate change isn't a problem. Fossil fuels are fine. Let's do whatever we want. Hunt whatever animals we want. It's all right. Extinction doesn't matter. That's not the idea that God had when he said to subdue the earth. We're not to abuse the resources we have. If God called the planet good, we're supposed to treat it with care. But that being said, there's also a more liberal extreme of worrying so much about saving the planet, saving the polar bears, hugging the trees, that we forget they were given for us to use. The key is to know and live out the difference between use and abuse. It's okay to cut down trees. It's okay to hunt animals. But are you doing it in such a way that the next generation will be as well off or better off than you were? like with that hostess's party that we talked about. It would be wrong to eat all of that food for yourself and leave nothing for everybody else. But it would also be wrong not to partake in any of what she provided because you're just saying, oh, look at how beautiful that little uh, you know, vegetable and fruit spread is, I don't wanna to touch it. Well, no, she put it there for you to eat. Either extreme is not good. God has called for us to live in the balance. We're supposed to use without abusing. That's the way of thankfulness. Thankfulness is like realizing that God has given you everything on the planet and then finding a way to use it that glorifies him by helping humanity. That's the message of 1 Timothy 4.4. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if you receive it with thanksgiving. You catch that? This verse blows my mind. Every single thing that God created on earth is good if... That's a big if. If it be received with thanksgiving. So somehow, in God's mind, my spirit in how I use what he has given me helps to make something good or not good. That's what it says. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. That's worth thinking about. How about the next verse? For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So that means that anything can become a spiritual matter if you're thankful for it. That means that raking the leaves can be a spiritual matter if you find something to be thankful for in it. It means that watching a movie could become a spiritual matter if you find something to be thankful for in it. And this is where 1 Corinthians 10:31 comes in. You guys know I quote this one a lot. It's from the wilds and is so powerful for life. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That means that even the most mundane things in life are kingdom of heaven advancing actions when you take the time to recognize the spiritual element already inherent in the most secular of tasks. I think that's the next slide. Even the most mundane things in life are kingdom of heaven advancing actions. When you take the time to recognize the spiritual element already inherent in the most secular of tasks. It's not that church is when we do all the spiritual stuff. And maybe, I don't know, taking cookies to a new neighbor and then the rest of the week is secular. Hmm. Everything you do can either be spiritual or it could be secular, depending on whether or not you are acknowledging God in it. And I say that specifically, I picked that word acknowledge, because these verses are building on the foundation that Proverbs 3.6 sets for us. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You know, acknowledge doesn't just mean to notice. If I was walking by after the service here and I looked over and I nodded at Brother Kima, we would say, I acknowledged him. I noticed he was there. But that's not just what this word means here. It doesn't just mean notice God in your life, it's actually a very intimate, experiential, personal knowledge. And do you notice where it says that happens? In all your ways. Sure, you know God in church when you're wearing a nice dress or a nice suit and tie, but do you personally know him when you're stuck in traffic on the freeway? Do you personally know him when the doctor says cancer? Do you personally know him when you lose your job? In all your ways, personally, experientially, let him in. He already knows what's going on. You're not keeping a secret from him. So why not let him in on that and experience it with him? You can see God in the little things every day. He has given you so many beautiful little gifts if you'll just take the time to notice them. And that's the core of being thankful. That is how you realize that what you have does not come from you, and then you act accordingly. But unfortunately, humans don't do that very well, do we? (laughs) The story of humanity from the garden onward has been one of not acknowledging God. It has been one of refusing the party that God has set out for us and trying to create our own. If being thankful is simply taking that time to personally acknowledge God in your daily life and acting on it, unthankfulness is thinking that you can do it on your own. Unthankfulness is thinking that what you have is because of you. It's choosing your own path over God's. You know, God never makes you follow his path. He doesn't. He sets it before you. He gives you the spoiler alert that, hey, this way is going to be better in the end. But then he lets you make the choice. He's been doing that since the very beginning. That was the tree of the discerning of good and not good. We call it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the point of that, is God throughout Genesis 1 and 2, over and over again, he said, it is good, 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 it is very good. And then he sets before humanity the choice of, will you accept what I have said is good, or will you try to define good on your own terms, regardless of whether or not it's good for somebody else? And we know the choice that they took. It's the choice that we take every day so often. The man and the woman, they were not thankful for God's gracious gift. They didn't participate in the party he planned for them. They poo-pooed it and thought they could come up with a better one. That's what unthankfulness is. It's not recognizing the hand of God and others in what you have. It's not accepting what you've been given. It's trying your own way, and it doesn't end well it got us kicked out of the garden. And the rest of the story of the Bible presents a tale of two kingdoms. One that is a kingdom of thankfulness that takes time to know God and even the small things of life. And the other is the kingdom of unthankfulness that goes its own way, not caring less about what God has given. Cain kept that going. He didn't participate in the party that God set out either. He tried his own terms. Humanity as a whole followed his path and it got us to the flood. And from the flood it got us to the Tower of Babylon. Tower of Babel, we call it the same word. Then after the Tower of Babylon, God picked a thankful person whose name was Abram. Even in a pagan land, Abram realized that Yahweh was the source of goodness around him. And he used that goodness to bless others. Look with me if you win, Genesis 13. I want to illustrate this to you. Because this story... It's incredible to me. In Genesis 13, Abram had experienced so much of the goodness of the world that his nephew Lot and he had too much stuff between them to stay in the same place. And Abram does something incredible. Look at verse 7 of chapter 13. There was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. The Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled there in the land. That's just a little aside to tell you the time period. Abram said to Lot, "'Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we're brethren, we're family. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left land, I'll go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well-watered everywhere.' Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That story is going to come in a few chapters. Even as the garden of the Lord. Hello. Catch that little reference there? Remember the last time someone was in a garden and they saw what they thought looked good to them and they took in where that got us? Okay. It was like the land of Egypt as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east. Do you remember which direction Adam and Eve had to leave the garden? East. Little Easter eggs in there for you, saying the same things happening and over and over again. And they separated themselves, the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Do you catch what Abram did there? He did what very few of us ever would have done. He gave Lot the best choice for himself. Most of us want the best for us. We go for the biggest piece of cake at the party or the one with the most icing, right? That's a, I don't care about the size, I want the one with the most icing. We pull out the ruler and measure the glass to see who got the most orange juice in it, right? Come on, if you had siblings, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. But Abram didn't do that. He didn't care about getting the biggest slice of cake at the party. He knew that even if Lot took the bigger piece, there'd be another piece for him. He could rest knowing that in God's economy, all God's children have enough. Friends, can I tell you there are no supply shortages in heaven? There's no cargo ship stuck up in heaven waiting to dock. There are no empty shelves in God's grocery store, if I can put it that way. Abram knew that he didn't have to scrounge around for the best that he could find because God would provide for him what is truly best. And that understanding freed him up to be willing to give what looked best to somebody else. All across scripture there are these little stories that dot across the narrative of people who took that same thankful attitude. I think of the the widow of Zarpath, we call it Zarephath, in 1 Kings 17. She had absolutely nothing. She was just about to use what was literally the last of the food in her pantry to feed her and her son before they would die of starvation. She had no money in the bank to buy more. But when the man of God named Elijah came by, she was willing to give to him. And what happened to her because of it? Well, 1 Kings seventeen sixteen, the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. She was miraculously taken care of in a way that would never have happened had she been stingy with that stuff that she had. And you know what? I don't think a single one of us in here would have faulted her if she kept that stuff and made the food for her family, right? I mean, this, this is her son we're talking about. It's not even like it was just her. I mean, even if it was just her, we would have understood, but this is her kid. We would have said, well, I'm sorry, Elijah, I guess you got to move on. I mean, this women and children first here, right, pal? But she trusted God. And she gave. And she got more in return than she ever could have imagined. You know what I've noticed reading scripture? God doesn't work miracles for stingy people. (laughs) He doesn't. It's so funny. The people who who hoard the resources of the earth that he gave. Like there's no tomorrow are usually the people who die the poorest and the most miserable because God doesn't bless a penny pincher. That being said, I will admit it is good to save money. I know there's going to be that one person who wants to come up to me afterward and say, well, shouldn't we save? Yes, we should save. It's good to be frugal. It's good to be smart. It's good to be prepared for a rainy day in a worst-case scenario. But what's your heart in it? I know too many Christians who are like doomsday preppers, who hoard whatever they can come across. And can I tell you, that's not biblical. Hoarding wealth, hoarding resources is never what God intended. Filling up your shopping cart with more toilet paper and masks and hand sanitizer than you would ever need, it's not biblical. It's not pleasing to God. I haven't been following any of you around in Walmart, so I don't know if any of you did that. I'm not picking on anybody. But that's not the way God ever intended it. You know, there's a reason that in Exodus 16, God provided man- manna on a daily basis and then wouldn't allow the Jews to hoard it. Same reason that Jesus in Matthew 6, 11, taught his followers to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I'm not saying you can't go to the store and buy food for a week or even for a month, okay? It, that's not the point. But the point is consider your heart behind the actions. God doesn't bless hoarders. He blesses givers. And he himself set that example for us. You will never find God being stingy in the scriptures or in life for that matter. What you will find over and over again are passages like Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10. We usually focus on the start of it where it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. But let's not forget the second half. Prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God is so generous. A blessing that you don't have room enough to receive? I want that. And by the way, it doesn't promise that that's money. It could be in a lot of other ways that God blesses you. As so I mean, we focus focus on this passage for tithes, and I'm all for preaching about giving to church. But if we're being honest, if you look at the tithes in the Old Testament, for one thing, there wasn't just one tithe. Sometimes preachers preach like it was one tithe. Now, if you add it up, there were actually multiple tithes in the Old Testament. It's really funny. It it was a lot more than 10% they were given. And what's hilarious is they weren't money. They were resources. Check those verses again. They were about the tenth animal in your flock. They were about a tenth of the grain that you brought in, a tenth of your resources. Why? Because it was about taking care of the temple and the poor. And so those resources went to the needs of the church, if you will. I realize it's Old Testament, but the body of God and the needs of the community. That's what I love so much about those Thanksgiving totes that we mentioned that we're doing tomorrow. Because it's the church meeting the needs of the community. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That is what the mission is. That is what giving to the church is supposed to do. It's supposed to take care of the community. Folks, you want to know What I want to see happen with Open Bible, I want to see a day where there is no need for charity organizations to exist in Gloucester County because we as a church have done their work for them. Because you know what? They're doing our work for us. In an ideal world, if the church was actually doing what it was supposed to do, Salvation Army wouldn't need to exist. St. Jude's wouldn't need to exist. Goodwill, UNICEF, Red Cross, Toys for Tots, none of them would need to exist if we were actually doing what we were supposed to do. And I'm not saying those organizations are bad. And I'm not commenting on whether or not we should support them. That's not what I'm getting into here. But what I am saying is that we as a people and we as a church need to wake up to the reality that God has given to us abundantly. And that the only way to truly be thankful for what he has given is to share it with others. God set the example for us when he gave the ultimate gift, his son. To die on the cross for our sins, Brother Tyler, focus on that through the message today. You need to get back to the cross. And then let's not even just stay there, let's keep going with it. Let's go to the empty tomb. Let's go even past that and get to what does that mean for us to today? Jesus Christ rose again. He filled us with the same powerful Holy Spirit that rose him from the grave. And so Paul gets to say in 2 Corinthians 9, 1, we're finally here now, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. The power of this verse is mind-blowing to me. And I will admit, it took me a few readings to actually figure out, what is this saying? It's saying that God has richly provided for me. And that should propel me to use the resources I have in such a way that my friends, my family, my coworkers, and my community are all pointed to God. Can I reword that a little bit for you? God has made us billionaires, In the currency of his grace and goodness. And he did that in order that nothing would hinder us from giving to others. Sometimes when we've only got a few bucks in our pocket, we feel like we can't make that much of a difference. But I want you to think of yourself in terms of being a billionaire. Think like you're Elon Musk, uh, or Bill Gates, or Jeff Bezos, just hopefully a little more moral in how you use your money. But I don't mean money as in American dollars. Your currency is God's grace. Your currency is the goodness that God has provided in the world around you, and you are a billionaire in that. You don't have to be stingy. You don't have to worry about just having a few bucks in your pocket. You've got it all. Now, what will you do with that this week? You going to hoard it? You go and just sit on your gold pile and say, huh, I got it pretty good. You gone to share it. Because when we give to others, people begin to realize that what they have comes from capital S, someone else, as they get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. You know, exactly 400 years ago, in 1621, a ragged group of weathered men and women gathered in Plymouth, Massachusetts, And they set aside a day to celebrate the goodness of God. And they didn't minimize the struggles they had. They had it rough. They had lost a lot of good men and women in that year. They didn't forget about all the struggles they had had. But they did choose to find and focus on the good that the Lord had provided. And when they did, they found that they actually had a lot to be thankful for. Now that particular day 400 years ago and similar ones from around that time led to our modern tradition that we call Thanksgiving. And we celebrate it this week, four days. The capital T Thanksgiving is, well, it's just one day out of 365. It's a special one. I will eat plenty of turkey and everything else that we have, I guarantee it. But you know, Thanksgiving doesn't have to stop when the turkey's gone. I know it's been a hard year for a lot of us in here. We're still in the middle of COVID. We've had a lot of deaths in our church family this year, two funerals here at the church this week. It's been a hard year. Thankfulness doesn't require that you pretend like the hardness didn't happen. Thankfulness meets hardship head on and says, yes, I know that happened, but God is still good and he will still provide. In fact, God has provided more richly than any of us could ever ask or think so what are you going to do about it will you accept his generosity and use it to benefit others or are you going to selfishly hoard it or do nothing with it the choice is yours let's pray Father you have provided a very good earth to us very good life very good church And we could be here the next couple hours listing out all of the things you've provided. You're a great and generous God. And Lord, I pray that this week we would get a hold of the understanding that it is not because of us. It's because of you. That we have anything that we have. And I pray that we would then take that and share it with others so that they too can be pointed to your goodness. In your son's name.
0: Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcasts or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.